with you this morning, the book of Job and chapter number 3. Job chapter 3, it's great to have all of our college students home that are able to be home. And uh, our son Philip, he'll be coming in tomorrow, Lord willing. <clears throat> and so uh, pray for those who are traveling this week and have a great time at home and a great uh, conclusion to the semester. And of course, uh, other schools as well <clears throat> will have spring breaks in the days to come. And, and uh, we're getting to that time of year, getting closer to that time of year anyway, even if it doesn't yet feel like spring. Spring's on the way, amen. And uh, take heart. <laughs> Job chapter number three. Stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. Job chapter three. I want to be a help and a blessing to you this morning. And I believe the truth that, uh, that we'll preach about this morning will be a blessing. And so uh, I want you to pay close attention to the message. Job chapter three, verse one. This is Job speaking. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness, let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it, and let a cloud dwell upon it, and let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it, let it not be joined unto the days of the year, let it not come into the number of of the months. Lo, let, it, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. I want you to skip down with me to verse number 20. Job chapter 3, verse 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hid? And whom God hath hedged in. For my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. Very <clears throat> thought provoking passage, a little bit of a disturbing passage. I want to preach to you this morning on Job's worst day. Job's worst day. And let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray that you'd uh, somehow, <clears throat> by your Spirit, convey truth uh, to every heart. As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, Jesus is the truth, and uh, the Word of God is truth. And uh, there is nothing in the Word of God that would, uh, uh, that would in any way take away from the glory of Jesus. And Father, I pray that Christ would be magnified this morning, and I pray that the truth would find a, a permanent place in our hearts. And uh, Father, this is the kind of message that uh, either we need it right now, or we're going to need it in the very near future. And I pray that you'd help us pay very close attention to your Spirit as he tries to teach us and help us and encourage us. Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be that day of salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. If you know your Bible, you understand that Job was one of the greatest men who ever lived. The Bible says about Job in the very first chapter <clears throat> that he was a man who feared God and eschewed evil. He hated evil. He was repulsed by sin. This was not someone, this man named Job, this was not somebody 
who straddled the fence as far as doing right was concerned, you might say that Job was all in for God. Job was the kind of man who uh, he loved the Lord and he served the Lord as, as, uh, as best he could. And, and uh, he was a good father. He was a good husband. Uh, the Bible tells us a little bit, gives us a little bit of an insight about his, uh, his prayer life as far as his children were concerned. Job would get up in the middle of the night and he would pray diligently for his children and, and for a hedge of protection to be around them spiritually and, and, uh, and so forth. This is a good man that we're talking about, this man named Job. But you may know the story how that one day Satan and God had a conversation about Job and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you thought about the fact that Job is a good man who fears me and who hates evil, he hates sin, he's repulsed by wickedness and so forth. And Satan said to God, well, God, you understand that the reason why Job is such a goody two-shoes is because you have been so good to him. But God, I submit to you that if you let your uh, if you withhold some of your blessings on Job, if you, if you allow Job to be afflicted, then I think that you'll see another side of this man that you put on such a high pedestal. And so you know the conversation that God had with Satan. He said to Satan, okay, Satan, I will allow you to bring some things into Job's life to test him, but you can't take his life. God drew a line in the sand and said, Satan, you can go so far with Job, but that's it. That's it. Now, if you know the story, you know that Job, very quickly after that conversation between God and Satan, Job was tested beyond belief. Job's ten kids that he prayed for diligently, all ten of those children died in a natural disaster on the same day. Job was a very wealthy man. And on the same day uh, that when the sun came up, Job uh, was one of the wealthiest men in all the world. And when the sun went down that day, Job was a pauper. He was a poor man. He had nothing, materially speaking. Job lost his wealth. Job lost his children. Job lost his health. Uh, he was a healthy man until the Lord allowed Satan to touch his health and to bring a, uh, a, a dreaded uh, illness and affliction upon Job to where he was physically miserable. It went beyond that. Job's wife came to Job and uh, in the middle of all of these horrible trials and Mrs. Job came to her husband and said, Honey, it's obvious that God has lifted his hand against you. Why don't you just curse God, let him kill you, and get the suffering over with? Why don't you? That's what she said. She said, just curse God and die. Get it over with. So we see that Job, and by the way, be careful about judging someone based on what you think may be God's punishment to them. Job did not attract affliction because he was a bad guy. Job attracted affliction, quite the contrary, because he was a wonderful guy, because he was a good Christian in our vernacular today. Job was, he feared God. He was, he did right. And uh, some, sometimes people say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Ask Job. <laughs> ask Job. Job was being put to the ultimate test in his life. But all those things that I just mentioned as bad as they were. I mean, imagine with me, if you will, attending the funeral of not one of your children, but all 10 of your children at the same time. 
Put yourself in that horrible position of a parent's worst nightmare to walk into a funeral home or a church auditorium somewhere and see not one, not two, but ten caskets side by side by side. And in those caskets are the dearest and most precious thing to a parent on this side of eternity. It's hard to wrap your mind around that. But that's what Job went through. That's what Job suffered. That's what he and his wife went through as far as the death of their children. And then you add to that, Job's uh, financial state was absolutely crushed and his health was gone and all of it. And then finally his wife came to him and said, why don't you just get it over with and curse God and die and so forth. You say, Pastor, could it get anything any worse for Job? Could it get any more horrific than that? Well, I want to submit to you this morning that something happened or all of that contributed to something that I'm going to call the worst day in Job's life. The worst day in Job's life. He lost just about all that a man could lose short of, his lo of losing his own life. And by the way, God did draw the line in the sand for Satan right there. And, and by the way, let me say this. God knows what your limitations are. God knows what your limitations are. The Bible says that, God, that, that there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. God is faithful. You say, well, pastor, I'm going through something, and, and uh, maybe what you're going through would pale in comparison to Job, and, and uh, 99 times out of 100, it would pale in comparison to what Job went through. But nevertheless, what you're going through is as real to you this morning as what Job went through was real to him. May I encourage you a little bit here in the introduction by saying this? God knows what you can take. God knows what you can handle. God knows where that line in the sand is to be drawn. And understand something, if you're going through something this morning, God knows you can go through something this morning. The Bible says, He knoweth the way that I take. In fact, that Job said that later on in the book of Job. He said, after he came out on the other side of these horrific trials in his life, Job said and testified, He knoweth the way that I take, and that when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. That was Job's testimony. Of all the terrible things that happened to Job, we could debate over which was the worst. Was it losing his health? Many would argue that it was a loss of those ten children. Was it the moment that his lovely wife turned to him and as he scraped his sores at the local trash heap and local dump and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Hey, maybe it was when his so-called friends came to see him. The Bible tells us that in the middle of Job's uh, plagues and persecution and, and terrible things that were happening to him, three friends, so-called, <laughs> came to Job to cheer him up. Uh, and the Bible, much of the book of Job is, a, is a, uh, a conversation between Job and his friends and Job and the Lord and the Lord and, all, and so forth. There's that, uh, those, uh, those different parties that are talking to each other there. But these three friends, now get this, these three, three friends come to Job and for three days they sat there in Job's living room and didn't say a word. Now put yourself in this story for just a moment. Put yourself in Job's shoes. You're at your worst of all the things that have happened to you, and three friends come to your house, and they just sit there for three days and don't say one solitary word. And when they finally do speak, you wish they hadn't. Anybody, any friends like that? Don't, put your, don't, don't raise your hand there. 
Job was waiting for something encouraging. He was waiting for somebody to say something to help him. He was waiting for somebody to say, Job, it's going to be okay. Job, we're for you. Job, we're behind you. Job, we love you. Job, we care about you. They didn't say any of that. When they finally did open their mouth, they said to Job, in essence, what have you done to bring all of this upon you? They blamed Job. And by the way, don't expect even people who would call themselves your... Don't expect human flesh to understand everything that's going on between you and the Lord. Sometimes it's inexplicable. <clears throat> but was it, what was the worst thing to happen to Job? What was Job's worst day? Was it the day that he lost everything? Was it the day that his wife uh, told him to go ahead and curse God and die? Was it when his so-called friends came and, and, uh, and, and said uh, uh, nothing to him? And when they finally did, they accused him of bringing his circumstances upon himself. Finally, Job said in Job chapter 16, verse number 2, he said, miserable comforters are ye all. He had them pegged. He said, you guys are lousy excuses for comforters. This morning, I want to submit a thought to you. I cannot speak for Job, but certainly he endured some unbelievable trials. But one of the worst days in Job's life, if not the worst day in Job's life, had to be the day, don't miss this, when he looked for God in his situation and could not find him. He looked for God in all of this. Now, mind you, we have the benefit of knowing the conversation that happened between Satan and God. We have the benefit of being able to read that in Job chapter 1, but Job didn't know that. He didn't have a clue what was going on. I'm sure in all of this, Job looked up to heaven and said to himself, Where are you, God? How come you've left me by myself, God? Go back to our text, if you will, Job chapter 3, because there's some insight here based on that introduction I want you to see. Verse 1 says, After this, Job uh, opened his mouth, I'm sorry, after this opened Job's mouth, and cursed his day. And you go on to read the subsequent verses, and it, basically Job is saying, it, were, it would have been better for me if I'd never been born. That's what he said. And then you go down to the end of the chapter, look at verse number, uh, uh, verse number 20. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures? Job said, basically, I wish I could just die. That's a bad place to be. By the way, God is the author of life. Amen? God is the one who determines when life begins. And, uh, uh, and somehow man has gotten to the point where we think that we're, we're in charge of all that. We need to stay out of God's business. God's the one who determines when life starts, and God ought to be the one who determines when it, st when it stops. And the Bible says there's a, it's a point in a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But here Job is saying in the story, he said, I wish I could just die. God, would you just, would you just take me away right now? Why did Job get that desperate? I'll tell you why. Because Job couldn't find God in all of this he didn't see the sense in it it didn't make sense to him he could not find Job the day when it seemed that God had hidden himself from Job's life a young preacher went to the hospital to visit a faithful man who lay sick of a sudden and terminal disease this man had served God all of his life he was a deacon a Sunday school teacher and a God-fearing man who loved his church and his family 
And this, uh, uh, this young preacher went in to see this, uh, this saint, and, uh, and the man said, Preacher, I've never doubted my salvation or the Bible, but it seems that right now I can't find God. Pastor, where is God? Where is God? Have you ever felt that way? Again, I'm not saying that anything that's happened to any of us individually or to all of us collectively could even compare to what Job went through. But have you ever come to a point in your life where it just seemed that God had hidden from you? It seemed that God was hiding his face from you. I remember, and I've told this story before, no doubt, but uh, you'll bear with me. I was, uh, as a kid, in a grocery store. My mom said, now, son, you stay right with me. You stay right here, and uh, you stay with me. Well, uh, it's amazing how there's a psychology of where they put certain items in a grocery store, and it's, eye, it's at eye level for kids. Amen? All the good stuff's at eye level about right here. You know why? So when you're four and five and six years old, you just walk down every aisle, and it's like heaven. I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And my mama, she would always say, she said, now, son, you stay right with me. And uh, she tried to put the fear of God in me. She said, because somebody may take you away from me, and I'll never see you again. And, uh, and, and, and that was frightening for about 30 seconds until I started seeing this and seeing this and seeing this and seeing this and seeing this. And, and uh, my favorite cereal is right there. And, uh, and all the things that I like was right there. And so uh, my mom, she decided she was going to teach me a lesson one day because I would have a tendency to wander away. I'd wander off. And so she, uh, she took the grocery cart and she went to the next aisle, maybe two aisles over, and, uh, and she would time it to where uh, when I realized that I was away from her and then I'd go try to find her, she would make sure that she was walking away from me where I couldn't see her until panic set in. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, uh, but anyway, I remember one day uh, I, I, cu I couldn't find her, and uh, and then it dawned on me the preacher just the Sunday before had preached on the rapture, and I thought, oh no, <laughs> I've been left behind, brother Dave. <laughs> I mean, I mean. I can only eat so many Lucky Charms before it's going gonna, it's gonna to dawn on me that, hey, I've been left behind and the, and the rapture's taking place and my mama's gone. Somebody help me. <clears throat> and so finally I went to the front or uh, some, one of the, the uh, stock boys or whatever said, uh, said are you lost? And I said, uh, I said, I can't find my mom. And so they took me to the front. It was embarrassing. They got over the loudspeaker. And, of course, <clears throat> uh, we have a lost child at the front at Isles, you know, anyway. But she taught me a lesson that day. Just because I couldn't see her, she knew exactly where I was at. I mean, I say this morning, you may not be able to find God in what you're going through, but God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where you are. Job, as bad as things got in his life <clears throat> during that whole episode, during that whole ordeal of losing his wealth and losing his health and losing his children, losing everything that a man could possibly lose on this side of eternity, and yet he said, God, where are you? God knew where he was at. God knew exactly where he was at. Have you ever felt like God was nowhere to be found? Job did. Isaiah did. Elijah did as he sat by the brook Cherith and discouraged and being threatened but with, with his own life. The psalmist, he knew what it was like to, be, uh, to, to, uh, to, to not know where God was, to, to realize that uh, God seemed a way far off. Psalm chapter 10 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Psalm 44, 24, Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? 
Psalm 88, verse 14, Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I'm saying if you feel at times that God is a million miles away from you, you're in good company. You're in good company. You're not the first to feel that way. And as I look through the scriptures, I see at least three reasons why God sometimes hides from us. Three reasons why sometimes God, he knows exactly where we are, but he withdraws himself, or at least we feel that way. Three reasons. Number one, this is by introduction. Sometimes he, he does it to see if we'll do right anyway. I believe sometimes God withdraws the feeling of his presence. Now, Jesus promised in Matthew 28, he said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm talking about we can't perceive his presence sometimes. If I may use the word, we don't feel him around all the time. But he said right there, <clears throat> he said, Lo, I'm with you always, but sometimes I believe that God's presence or the feeling of God's presence is withdrawn from us simply to see if we'll do right anyway. Do we do right because we feel his presence or do we do right because it's right to do? Are we taking a stand for righteousness because there's some kind, of a, uh, some kind of a benefit to us because we're recognized or because we feel good about it or because whatever the case may be, but maybe sometimes God withdraws his presence just to see if we'll do right anyway. I see another reason. Sometimes God may withdraw his presence to remind us of how much we need him. Just to remind us of how much we need him. Maybe God says, okay, <coughs> I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a leash to let you kind of wander out on your own a little bit. Now, I'll be right here, and I can see you, though you cannot see me. But maybe he does it sometimes just to bring us back to a place of dependency. Just to realize, you know what, God, I, I do need you. And then maybe it's because of our own sin. Maybe our sin has driven a wedge between us and the, and the feeling of his presence. Maybe, uh, and by the way, I've said it many times from this pulpit, but you're as close to God as you choose to be. Now, he'll never withdraw his presence from you. He promised that he'd be with us always. But the Bible does say, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Hey, if you have wandered away from God, I got good news for you. God never left. The same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. <clears throat> you'll, find, you'll find Jesus exactly where you left him if you feel distant from him this morning. What to do when you can't find God? Again, we're talking about Job's worst day. Perhaps the worst thing that happened of all of Job's trials was the fact that God seemed nowhere to be found. Just very quickly, four statements, and we'll be done this morning. What to do when you can't find God? What should be my reaction? When I come to the, and again, I said a while ago, this is the kind of message. You may not need it right now, but you will in the future. There are some of you, <clears throat> you might be exactly what I'm talking about right now. It's like, man, where's God at in all this anyway? Seems like my world is crashing down around me and God is nowhere to be found. You may not feel that way today, but you may in the, in the future. So what do we do when that happens? Number one, realize he's still there. Realize he's still there. There's a difference between God's presence and God's visibility. Don't miss that. There's a difference between God's presence and his visibility. The Bible tells us over in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, in Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through the God's heroes of the faith, so to speak. And it talks about Noah, and it talks about Abel, and it talks about different characters in the Old Testament that we would deem heroes of the faith, so to speak. And then there's a little line in Hebrews chapter 11 and the Bible talks about as seeing him who is invisible. 
I believe he was talking about Moses. Don't hold me to that. But he uses that little term, as seeing him who is invisible. The point is this. Just because God may not be visible in your life or perceived in your life, that doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he's not working in your life. A couple of Sundays ago, we preached on the character of Joseph. And Joseph went through some, he went through a period in his life from the time he was 17, sold into slavery, until his brothers revealed themselves to him some 20 years later or more. Can you imagine what Job must have gone through during that 20-year period? When he's sold into slavery, he's working in Potiphar's house, his dad thinks he's dead, his brothers have sold him and don't really care what happens to him after that. It seems that he's having to start all over, he has a new identity, he has new friends, he has a a family that uh, basically thinks he's gone. Can you imagine? But he went through that for 20 years. But you understand something, as you read through the narrative of the life of Joseph, you understand that God was working all along. Just because God was not visible to Joseph, just because the thing, the events of Joseph's life didn't make sense to him, that doesn't mean God had forsaken him. And if you're here this morning and you're going through it and you, uh, it just seems like there's one thing after another after another and you say, preacher, I don't understand God is, God's not visible. Well, don't think for a moment that God's not at work because he is. He's at work. Number two, when you can't find God, I said, number one, realize he's still there. Realize he's still there. Number two, take personal inventory. Take personal inventory in your own life. A good question to ask is this. Is he hiding his face because of something I've done? Is there anything that I have brought upon myself? Now, at the beginning of the message, I cautioned you not to judge someone else based on what's happening to them. And by the way, that's a good good rule of thumb all the time. You see, our our judgment should be looking inward and not outward most of the time. You know, God's on the throne. God knows what's happening. God doesn't need me to help him out in bringing judgment to anybody. He's he's well able to take care of that himself. But what I ought to do when things happen in my life that aren't what they should be, and when when, when bad circumstances happen, not all the time does it mean I've done something wrong to bring that upon myself, but hey, it's a good place to start. (laughs) It's a good place to start. Because there are times when we do create self-inflicted wounds. There are times when we do uh, sin and we violate God's laws and we do things that, that, that are not what they ought to be or we don't do what God has instructed us to do. And in, in, in that sin, which is what it is, by the way, we bring God's judgment upon ourselves. So that's a, good, that's a good place to start. Take inventory. Is there something in my life that is not pleasing to the Lord that has caused this? Is this a self-inflicted wound? David said in Psalm 139, he said, search me, O Lord. He said, try me. He said, know my thoughts. He said, know my reins. He said, said, look really carefully at me, and Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. David just became very honest with the Lord and said, Lord, I want to be transparent. You, You do your work. You shine your flashlight in every nook and cranny of my life, and you make sure, and you bring to light everything in my life that's displeasing to you, and I'll make it right. That's what he did. And that's what we need to do. Hey, that's one reason why we have a word of God. The word of God compares itself to a mirror. A mirror. Now, when you got up this morning, you, one of the first things you did is look in the mirror. 
<laughs> the Bible says <clears throat> that for some people, they open the Word of God and they treat it as if somebody who goes to a mirror in the morning and doesn't do anything about what they just saw. It's okay to laugh. <laughs> when, when you go to the mirror in the morning, the mirror doesn't fix your hair, ladies. I said ladies specifically because I have none to fix, amen? Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the mirror doesn't shave for you, fellas. The mirror doesn't do anything for you. It simply diagnoses the problem. <laughs> it shows you what needs to be done to make you look presentable so that you are not scary to the rest of humanity for the rest of the day. <laughs> Amen? That's the purpose of the mirror. Well, the, the Bible compares itself to a mirror. You come to church and you hear a Sunday school lesson and you hear preaching or you open the Bible on your own and you read it for yourself. And as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the truth. You know, sometimes the truth hurts. The truth's difficult. The truth can be painful. But hey, it's still the truth. <clears throat> and if we're not careful, we will, we will ignore things that may be a telltale sign in our lives that we have some self-inflicted wounds that we've caused in our own lives. And maybe it's time we ought to just take personal inventory, look at the mirror of God's Word and says, yep, we need to fix that, and we need to fix that, and we need to brush that, and we need to comb that, and we need to shave that, and we need to improve that. That's what it's there for. That's what it's there for. What to do when you can't find God? Number one, realize he's still there. Number two, take personal inventory. Number three, take a step in his direction. Take one step in God's direction. When you can't, when you can't sense God's presence, the Bible says this, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God. It doesn't say run away from God. Look, what's really disturbing is when I see people who are going through a really hard time and they drop out of church because they're having a hard time. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. When I see people who are struggling in their, uh, and, and maybe they're going through, and, and by the way, all of us are going to go through hard times every now and then. In the same book of Job, he said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. When the trouble comes, hey, don't run away from God. He's the one that's trying to help you. When the trouble comes, hey, don't, don't, don't run to, to Hollywood. Don't run to the world. Don't run to your own sinful uh, uh, fleshly desires or appetites. No, no, run to God. Take a step toward God. Draw nigh to Him. And He said, look, if you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. I'll help you. What to do when trouble comes? What to do on your worst day? What to do when you can't find God? Realize He's still there. Take personal inventory. Take a step in His direction. And then the last thing this morning is this. Faith Him when you cannot feel Him. Faith Him when you cannot feel Him. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith God when you cannot feel his presence. He said, Preacher, what are you talking about? Job chapter 13 and verse number 15. Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Now, wait a minute. This is Job. This is 13 chapters into Job. All, of the, all the really bad stuff happened to him in Job's 1 and 2. Job chapters 1 and 2. And in chapter 13, he said... You know what? <clears throat> I'm not sure why all this is happening. And even though I can't see God, here's what he said. 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's a mouthful. God, you may kill me if you want to, but you're a good God and you're not on trial with me and you're not going you, to turn me against you, God. I'm still going to believe in you. I'm still going to trust in you. I'm still going to have faith in you. I'm still going to believe that you have my best interest at heart. Even if I can't see the light of day, even if I, I, I'm uh, part of the time wishing I was dead myself, God, I trust you. Faith him when you cannot feel him. Look, God <clears throat> deserves to be trusted. God deserves to be trusted. You can take him at his word. He's never failed anyone, and he's not going to start with you. Okay? He's never, <clears throat> the Bible says that uh, he never slumbers nor sleeps. You know, we're kind of groggy this morning because we missed an hour of sleep last night. The Bible says in the 121st Psalm, He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't need to. He's never taken a nap. He's never taken a day off. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what your circumstances are. And he has not checked out of your life, even though it may feel or appear to you to be that way. But he said, just trust me. Just trust me. God has merited our trust. Faith in when you can't feel him. You say, preacher, I just don't feel his presence like I used to. Your feeling has nothing to do with his presence. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You can trust what he said. By the way, trust what he said, not how you feel. Here's what he said. You know, we, we put far too much stock, far too much emphasis on how we feel instead of faith and what God says. What God said trumps how I feel 100% of the time. So when I have a doubt as to what's going on in my life, where do you turn, preacher? This book right here. Where do you turn? The God of this book. Where do you go? The comfort of his spirit. The, the sufficiency that says to myself, you know what? I may, not, I may not understand it. I may not grasp it. But God's in control. God's in control. The worst day for Job was it when his children were all killed. I'm sure that was horrible. Was it the health being taken away from him? Was it his finances being wrecked and ruined? I'm sure all those things were cataclysmic. But when in the middle of all that, when Job looked and couldn't find God, he said, God, where are you? God, what's going on? If you go and you read the end of the story of Job, you find that God turned his captivity. God gave Job twice as much as everything he ever had. I think it started when Job figured out even though I can't see him I can't sense him I can't feel him I still believe him I still trust him by the way you're going to trust somebody you're going to trust somebody Bible says in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths the verse before that says trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding in some cases we would rather trust ourselves and our way of thinking, and our feelings, and our sufficiency, rather than trust the creator of the universe. What a foolish choice. What a foolish choice. Job said, I wish I was dead. I can't see God. God, where are you at? God says, don't worry, Job. I'm right here. Faith me when you can't feel me. 
Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Every head bowed, every eye is closed. 